We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready for rapid fire, Jess? I am ready for some rapid fire. Let's do it. I've saved up some of these uh, questions about Michigan because uh, we're going to talk about the <laughs> the, uh, the sign stealing coming up here in a little bit. Fill in the blank on this first one, though. Notre Dame is a blank team with four games to go this season. Whew. That is a tough one. Notre Dame is a team with a lot of – uh, a, a lot left play, a lot left to play for <laughs> with four games left to go in the season. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, when I'm talking um, to some friends like Notre Dame, quite honestly, is, you know, just a couple ticks away from being, uh, you know, seven and one, eight and oh, you know, all depending on how you look at it. Like, obviously, Louisville was a bad game, but there were some plays in there that if they broke Notre Dame's way here and there that they could very easily have won that game. And obviously everyone knows about Ohio state. So like, obviously you got to put those things behind you. Um, but I still think Notre Dame is a super talented team. Um, and, and I think they have a great opportunity with four games left to really end out the season strong um, and end up with double digit wins. And as long as they keep winning and these teams keep dropping ahead of them, they should easily find themselves in the top 10 at the end of the season. Yeah, I think that Notre Dame is a good team that still has a lot of room to get a heck of a lot better here down the stretch. I mean, the defense is pretty close to lights out right now. They held USC to close to a third of their point total, you know, what they usually average in that game. And obviously, Caleb Williams had never had a three-interception game before in, uh, in, in his career. Offense just has to find its groove. they got to average, you know, better than 2.9 yards a carry like they have the last two games they're too good for that we just talked about that a little bit it's interesting that James brings this up because this is I was thinking about this as well he says Hartman is afraid of throwing an interception and Sam Hartman to me is like Maverick in the original Top Gun I said this to Vince uh, at, at some point in the first half before he threw the touchdown pass to Chris Tyree, I, I, I said, Hartman won't engage. You know, it's like he's gun shy or something. And like, is he afraid to throw an interception? You know, what what is it that's holding Sam Hartman back right now? Because he is not throwing, you know, there have been some opportunities where he has just not wanted to, to engage and make that long throw 
downfield. Now we saw him make the attempt, a couple of, t- of attempts against Duke. They weren't caught by either Tyree or Tobias Merriweather. But again, by and large, it's just like he does not want to throw the ball deep for whatever reason. What do you think about this? I think it's a Marcus Freeman philosophy. Um, I, I think that he is told not to turn the ball over. So do you um, think like it's it's like back to the old days with Ian Book, basically? Like it's so beat into him, so. don't throw the you know, don't turn the ball over. Don't I think throw an interception. I think um when he was at Wake Forest, he had more liberty because they needed more out of him offensively, right? Like they needed him to make those plays. But I think if if the re- I, I think Notre Dame has deep shots built into these plays. But I think if it's not there, the first look, I like, I just don't think that they want him throwing 50-50 balls um, or, you know, contested balls. And so rather than throwing it downfield, they would much rather him check down, you know, and live to fight another down or live to fight another series. And if that means, you know, going, you know, three and out or maybe gaining a first down and then having to punt, I just think that they would much rather do that than giving the ball to the other team in plus territory. Interesting. I mean, he definitely, like to me – he seemed like a different guy after throwing that first interception against Louisville. Like, like to me, that's what, you know, people were trying to read into his body language and some of that stuff, the rest of the Louisville game. To me, I just think that he started getting into his head. Definitely by the time he threw the second interception, he was a much, much, he was much more gun shy. And again, like a guy who's having trouble engaging right now because like he's seen the other side of it. And, you know, if, if that's being kind of drilled into him, protect the ball, don't turn it over, those kind of things. You're just not going to see a guy take that. Well, I, I think shots. also chances, and especially think, you've you've got to trust your receivers as well. I was going to say, I think he's got trust issue with his wide receivers because that ball that he threw to Rico Flores, Flores didn't you know try to fight or go up for the ball 50-50. Um, and when you're working with some of these young wide receivers, they they might they might read it you know differently than what Sam Hartman is right. Like if as a wide receiver, if you read something, you basically have you know two routes right. Like depending on what coverage or is given to you. And so if he doesn't trust his wide receivers, these younger guys to make those in play reads, um, you know I think that also has to do with it at the same time. So I think. You know, part of it is is Marcus Freeman's overall mantra of we're not turning the ball over. Um, and then second of all, just this young group of wide receivers that are in and out recently. Um, and especially that, you know, that that interception to Rico Flores against the against Louisville. There was just no fight from Rico Flores. He didn't do anything to help Sam Hartman out. And so he's like, well, I'm not going to throw those kind of 50 50 balls anymore. If my wide receivers aren't going to help me out. But it's interesting because Marcus Freeman was talking yesterday about Tobias Merriweather and was saying that they need to uh, throw him more 50-50 balls. Don't just throw to him when he's wide open. Go to Tobias more. We're going to talk about Tobias here. Well, and and Joe says Hartman deserves some of the blame. I disagree with that because at Wake Forest, he was cutting the ball loose. So what if it was truly on Sam Hartman, it would be him chucking the ball up and and getting intercepted against Notre Dame. I just don't think in this offense he has to do that. And let's not forget, he's only had one – really bad game <laughs> you know it's 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 not like he's had a series of horrible games now he has not been his best these last four games but they've also played the four best teams on the schedule in these last four games but he still only had the one bad turnover game I do think that some of the chemistry comes into play some of it's on Hartman but it, it just <coughs> does feel like he has you know, again, sort of withdrawn to an extent, just in terms of what he's willing to do. 
and take some chances. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fill in the blank. It's blank on the subject of these receivers that Rico Flores is now ahead of Tobias Merriweather on Notre Dame's depth chart for this week's game. It is very surprising that Rico Flores is already ahead of Tobias Merriweather because last season, my biggest criticism of Tobias and why I figured he wasn't on the field is he didn't have the trust of the coaches and he didn't know what was going on 100% of the time. And now enters Rico Flores, who is, you know, basically in Tobias's shoes from last season. And he's already on the field getting much more playing time than Tobias Merriweather. Here, I'm just going to go out and say it as soon as I saw this. I didn't think it was a good thing for Tobias, and I, I ultimately would not be shocked if towards the end of the season we see his name um, in that transfer reporter. Because, listen, if if you are supposed to be kind of the next guy at wide receiver and now you're already getting passed up by guys younger than you, I just don't think that bodes well. I think you, you're starting to see, you know, why um, oh, the running back that transferred to LSU, uh, you know, he Logan ended Diggs. up – Logan Diggs, he saw the the incoming freshman talent coming behind him. Like they already have Faison, they have Rico Flores, they have Jaden Greathouse, and then that doesn't account for some of these other stud wide receivers that are coming in in the next recruiting classes, right? And so I just ultimately think if Tobias is getting passed up right now already by a, a true freshman, I just don't think that's a good look for him down the road. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him, you know, potentially pack it up. Well, at some point, I'm not going to go that far but at some point the performance has to meet the talent level this is an ultra talented guy but the performance especially in these last three games has not met the talent level and that's where he's got to get to you know like you talk about Hartman throwing that 50 50 jump ball to Rico Flores like okay so part of that is on Sam Hartman, part of that is on Rico Flores. Part of that is also on the play design and the play call in that situation because that is not like Rico is as good a freshman, you know, as, as Rico is. That's not the guy who I'd want going up for a 50-50 ball just based on his body type. Now, if I look at Tobias Merriweather's body type, that's the guy I want going up for it. But again, does performance meet the talent level? It hasn't because he has had – some of those situations where he can fight for the ball and he's, you know, kind of been in the, you know, in, in, in that kind of not necessarily true jump ball, but like that deep ball where he was called for the pass interference. Then he ended up dropping it 
against Duke. I mean, that's about as close to a 50-50 ball right there. He didn't make the catch. He's had some opportunities. Like, I think maybe what you're hoping is you just got passed by a freshman. He's talented too, but so are you, Tobias Merriweather. And the talent has to start, or the performance has to start meeting that talent level. And may, you know, maybe like maybe this motivates him a little bit. I don't know. Like something needs to happen, I think, between the years for him to kick it in gear because we've said all along the talent's there. But the performance has to meet it at some point, and it just hasn't met it. So something, something has to to be the motivator. And maybe this is the motivating factor for him when you get past officially on the depth chart. Yeah, I, to me, there's no other form of kick in the butt motivation than seeing someone pass you up on the depth chart in the middle of the season. Um, so yeah, I and I someone also kind of referenced it in the chat. I just don't know about Tobias Merriweather's inner drive or like that mentality that he has of being a competitor um, and those sort of things. And and hopefully, you know, maybe he's, he, he gets to the point of realizing that the talent you, you have to put in even more hard work and that, you know, the talent and work that he's put in already isn't quite enough. See, and this, point. this one I'm going to say is not a knock on him because there are a lot of talented guys who have fallen prey to this, especially when you're coming out of high school and you're told how great you are, and you go out on the field, and you prove that you're great in high school. But as you know, it's something else when you go to the next level. And you can't just always get by on being the most talented guy in the room. There still has to be some work that goes with it and the desire that goes with it to be truly great. And that I think that that's just where Tobias has to be right now is he willing to put in the work and you know motivate himself to some extent to go be that guy because he can absolutely be it it's just a matter of putting it together fill in the blank it's blank that during his press conference this week pit head coach pat narduzzi was asked about penalties being called both ways in games had nothing to do with notre dame but he decided to reference what he thought was a missed pass interference call the last time his team visited Notre Dame five years ago. I thought it was hilarious. Um, And the reason I thought it was hilarious is because of how just rent free. It seems to be that Notre Dame is living inside of his head, because if you can, you know, basically spin a question to be about Notre Dame from five years ago right? and you keep consistently losing to Notre Dame in close games, that's what you're going to think about. And so it, it is clear that he is not a fan of Notre Dame. It is clear that it bothers him that he can't beat Notre Dame. Um, and so what does he do? He started immediately throwing shade or deflecting blame on other aspects of the game. And it was funny because I, I saw some people quote tweet this earlier in the week and were like, are you referencing this call where Notre Dame's wide receiver is getting held? Or are you right. referencing Miles Boykin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that call or, you know, what is it? But it's clear that Pat Narduzzi feels like he is up against the refs against uh, when playing Notre Dame. And it adds to his frustration when he can't beat Notre Dame. If there was a dictionary definition of the term living rent free, in your head, it would have a picture of Pat Narduzzi and there would be like a thought bubble with Notre Dame inside of it, because this guy, anytime that he gets, I mean, the guy hates Notre Dame 
every chance that he gets, he throws shade at Notre Dame. He's always complaining about Notre Dame not being in the conference. You know, they're in, they're out. I'm surprised that didn't come up this week. He accused Notre Dame of trying to use back channels to get Kenny Pickett to transfer to Notre Dame a few years back when Kenny Pickett was still playing for the Panthers. It's just he's always got something. And I don't know if it's because of his days at Michigan State when Notre Dame and Michigan State were playing, you know, when he was still defensive coordinator there, like if that's where it started or if it runs even like, was he not recruited by Notre Dame at some point? He thought he should be. I don't know. But the guy just, he hates Notre Dame. And like, it's a bold strategy here. Like, is he, is he calling out the officials when in fact, you know, they're going to be ACC officials for this game this weekend, because that's what they're going to be. It's, you know, it's an AC team, ACC team. So they're going to use ACC officials again for this game. So like, is he, is he calling them out when he could maybe, you know, end up bringing, you know, some heat back on himself or is he kind of throwing it out there kind of trying to put it into these ACC officials heads that, you know, he needs them to be uh, to be working in his favor out there kind of thing. I don't know, but Pat Narduzzi, like this is, this is Pat Narduzzi's week, man, because it is, he is anti Notre Dame and it is full speed ahead. He gets to play Notre Dame this weekend at Notre Dame. I don't know if you saw last night in the Vikings and 49ers game. I don't know how much of that game you caught, um, but at one point, right before the play, Kevin O'Connell uh, is seen like telling the referee to watch this player for the Vikings because he thinks there's going to be a penalty. And sure enough, that player gets tugged on or whatever. So it's like holding defensive pass interference. That just reminds me of like Pat Narduzzi, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the referee's ears all the time. Be like, hey, hey, hey you need to watch for this guy. Hey, hey, you need to watch for that guy. Right. Rather than just being, you know. It, being in the game and not getting up, caught up in the things that he can't necessarily control. Yeah. John said that the officials were horrible or terrible, I guess is his word in the wake pit, wake forest pit game. I didn't get to see any of that, but I, I I'm not surprised because the level of officiating has just been bad overall this year. Michael wants to know who hates Notre Dame more Narduzzi or Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, it might be close, but I would give Narduzzi the edge in this, Same. In this case. Uh, Salty said the biggest factor in Notre Dame's elevation of play from Louisville to USC, Pac-12 officials in the USC game. And I mean, <laughs> USC's leaving the Pac-12, so could be something to that as well. Okay, so we've reached the time. We're going to talk about it. The Michigan sign-stealing scandal. How big a deal is this? Do you buy or sell it as a big deal? So I buy this as a big deal, and there's been a lot of commentary the last few days about the significance of this, right? Like, is it a big deal? Is it not a, is it not a big deal? Because at this point, it is obvious that Michigan did things to steal signals, right? Like, it is very obvious at the point that they, have, they had a guy dedicated on staff to steal signs, right? Okay, the thing I would say is and what a lot of people are saying especially if you're a Michigan fan is everyone steals signs it's not an uncommon thing but what I would say and, and the reason why I think this is a big deal is I'm completely fine with in game if you're looking over to the other team's sideline you're looking to the other team's dugout you know looking wherever trying to steal signs that is completely fine that is in game yep. that is game tactics where it becomes an issue 
is where you are going to events outside of live games. You are recording other teams' sidelines, and you are clearly studying the tape to see what certain signals mean. Because, I mean, another tweet came out today. Guy had a laminated sheet of basically, you know, whoever – a person doing some sort of signal and it has a tree, you know, a tree going down of, okay, if it's this signal and this signal and this signal, we know that that is this place. So again, I don't care if you sign steel in game, that's part of the game. But when you're doing things outside of the actual game to manufacture or to steal signs, that's where it becomes an issue. And that's where the NCAA is going to crack down because Michigan could afford to play, pay someone $55,000 a year to go steal signs. Freaking rice, you know, they don't have that kind of luxury. So that becomes a competitive advantage yeah, for this, Michigan. Yeah. Like Joe says, past two plus years, Michigan's defense has dominated the big 10, but was dominated in the playoffs. Very peculiar. And look, this is every bit as big a deal as the Houston Astros sign step, uh, sign exactly. scandal. And it's because of what you said, you know, just like you said, Michigan fans, you know, they want to say, well, everyone does it. But it's one thing to seal Stein, steal signs organically when you're just, you know, standing on the other sideline or up in the press box in the game itself. But it is completely different when you bring technology into it. And that's what the Astros did. They brought technology into it. They Artificial. Went, they went beyond just sitting in the dugout and looking at the third base coach or the manager giving signs. They were using technology to relay signs, you know, to, to batters at the plate and doing all these different things. And look, here's, here's a little, you know, here's a little shocker for you, Michigan. It's against the rules <laughs> to go to a game and videotape someone else's, you know, to use vi video of any kind sitting in the stands and use that as a scouting tool, you know, and Jim Harbaugh is trying to use this whole plausible deniability you know, I didn't know anything about it. This is just, you know, like Desmond Howard's out there trying to say that this is a, a rogue coach doing his own thing. I mean, there's, <laughs> Come on. you know, like you said, there's video of this guy now. Like, it, it seems like by the minute more stuff is coming up because there's the, there's like TV video from the Ohio State Michigan game. And it's part of what you're talking about. Like Ohio State, try, you know, starts to change the sign. And then you see, the, like, you can see this guy standing next to the defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, by the way. You can see him. He's, like, going out of his way. Like, what's the sign going to be? Then, like, so he sees the signs, and then they relay real quickly because he knows the signs because they've been sitting there with videotape stealing them, you know? Like, it's, it's – I mean, how many times – Like, yeah. How many times do you see a 55K thousand staffer standing next to the OC and the DC live right. in the game 24-7? You know, right. like <laughs> they're usually sitting up in the press box. There's pe only people with special privileges are right next to the OC yeah. and the DC on the sideline. The guy, left, the guy left a paper trail. Eleven different Big Ten schools have come forward and said that he bought tickets using his own name. And apparently, like there's all these Venmo transfers yes. where like people are saying T-shirt purchase, you know, like like 500 bucks T-shirt purchase or whatever, you know, and it's like. I, 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 what would really be funny is if, you know, he, he tried to turn in the receipts for these tickets, or if he did end up getting reimbursed for these tickets by Michigan as well. But it, it's just, it's, it's just incredible. You know, like, again, it's against NCAA rules 
to scout in person that, you know, like you can get all the game film that you want. That's like, it's, it's definitely against NCAA rules to use technology to record a different team's signals. So going back to what you started with, you can say, well, everybody steals signs in the game itself. That's fine, but you can advance scout and use technology to record this stuff. Like any TV station, you know, any fan can record this stuff, but as soon as a, a you know a member of of a team starts using it to try to gain an advantage, it's against the rules. It's just against the rules. My it's phone, simple. My phone unfortunately died, but there was a stat that there was this great TikTok this morning, and the last slide was Michigan's record against the spread before the sign stealing and after the sign stealing. And they go from a, a losing percentage without the sign stealing to like a 10 game, 15 game above 500 with the sign stealing like that. I'm, come on. I'm surprised. How do you that, that's direct correlation when you know what's coming? It's easy to defend when you know yeah. exactly what's coming. I mean, they hadn't beaten Ohio State prior to the sign stealing. Right. And it's like, is it coincidental that that Harbaugh saw a resurgence in his career magically right around the time that this sign stealing stuff started to happen? Like, it's just not hard to put piece to, and piece together. Unfortunately, you know, Michigan and, and is going to try to decline and say Harbaugh had no, um, you know, interaction with this or no knowledge that it was going on. I mean, that's that's complete garbage to me. And I, I, I just, you know, Harbaugh was shopping the NFL. Um, and depending on how this stuff goes with the NCAA, I think that, you know, you, you might see at the end of the season that mo- mutually sides have parted ways or, you know, whatever the terminology is, just because yeah. he'll be done with it. Right. Like he's he, he's already kind of shown signs of wanting to be done with it. You know, these past couple of seasons, um, I just really think if this goes ultimately really bad, he's just going to be I'm done with the NCAA. I'm going to go back to the NFL and live my life. Joe wants to know, how does the Big Ten handle the Michigan problem to save face for the conference? Do they ban Michigan from playing in the Big Ten championship game? Salty, should Harbaugh be removed as head football coach until the investigations are over? I do think you have to let the investigations play out and find out what they know. But, you know, to your point where you were just talking about, as the head coach, you are responsible for, you know, Whatever viol- if, if you have an assistant coach on your staff commit any violations, the head coach is ultimately responsible for them. I do think you have to let this play out and let you know someone come to a conclusion. But again, like going back to the Houston Astros thing, both the manager and the general manager lost their jobs over that. And I, again, I think this is every bit as serious as that. Um, I think the Big Ten, I don't think the Big Ten is going to take any action against Michigan during this season. I think if anything happens, it's all going to be retroactive. So I don't think anyone's going to be, you know, removed during the season. I don't think anyone's going to, you know, like the Big Ten is potentially going to keep Michigan out of the Big Ten championship game. I don't think the, you know, the they'll be left out of the playoffs, you know, again, assuming they're in those positions. But I think after the fact a lot can and should happen to both Harbaugh and his program for this. Well, you know, what's funny is (laughs) naturally last season, you know, the one game that they didn't have scouts at and and steal signals, the TCU game. And their defense looked abysmal against TCU and they lost against a team that they probably should have beat considering how they played the rest of the season. So it's just, 
Again, nothing is coincidental in my I opinion. Results. I can <laughs> and I, I agree with Salty too. Harbaugh knew. Again, when the, oh, guy, knew. when the guy stealing the signs is planted next to the defensive coordinator and is looking at the other, you know, and they've got him on cameras looking at the other sideline to find out what, you know, signals are being relayed into the field. And then he's telling the defensive coordinator what to call. Harbaugh absolutely knew about this. Again, what do he you can, think he can he can play the plausible deniability card and say that he didn't, but again, he's still ultimately responsible regardless. But he knew he knows. There's no way he didn't know. Um that, that's why ask, this guy is on the staff. He probably pitched himself as a guy who could do this kind of stuff. Let me ask you this. Say the investigation doesn't conclude until the end of the season and Michigan goes on and wins a national championship. Do you think that it would be vacated? Do you think it would be removed, or do you think it would just be an asterisk next to it? I don't know. Good question. But, you know, get like going back to the to the tickets, the guy had tickets on both sides of the stadium for last week's Ohio <laughs> yeah. State Penn State game. And guess what? The it wasn't there. Used. That's right. They didn't use the tickets. Coincidence? So, I mean, they're not going to be doing it the rest of the season. So we're going to find out pretty quickly just how much this actually meant to them. And, you know, what they're now they probably got a pretty good base of, you know, signals from some of these teams that they've already stolen signals from, but people are getting so confused about how the signs were, were stolen. And that's the, again, the biggest thing that I, that I would conclude this on is when you do it organically and you're just in game looking across the sideline or the dugout, that's completely fine. But when you're introducing technology, you're going to, you know, you're flying to other games, you're videotaping all of this stuff. It's like, it's a clear violation. I don't understand how people don't see the difference between the two. Yeah. And like Joe said, guy making 55 grand a year, didn't pay for the tickets, hotel, <laughs> airfare out of his own pocket, you know, for these people to go to these games. That's There's a money trail someplace, you know, getting reimbursed. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to, I, I forgot. We've got a super chat from Tyler on this as well. What if Notre Dame was caught stealing signs? What do you think their punishment would be from the NCAA? I mean, I mean, we saw what happened when they self-reported their uh, right. their academic tutoring issues a few years past, and that was enough to vacate wins. I think you would expect something similar, if not worse, in the same in this situation. Yeah, and I think ultimately what he's getting at is that the hammer would be dropped harder on Notre Dame, and I don't disagree with that. I think that ultimately that's kind of what happens, but. You know, to me, the funny part is, is it, it, being in, stuck in Michigan and Ohio and had living in both states and hearing that the fans butt heads with each other. Michigan always takes the moral high ground when talking about Ohio State and just talking about how morally sound they are and how they don't stoop to certain levels that Ohio State does and et cetera, and et cetera. All of that's out the window now. Michigan is morally corrupt, and I don't think they have anything to stand on now at all. Fox Sports analyst Emmanuel Acho says Caleb Williams should consider sitting out the rest of the season because the Heisman is now a long shot. Playoffs are an even less likely um, option, and he won't play in a bowl game anyway. Quote, the risk of playing far outweighs the reward business decision. End quote. Do you buy or sell it, Jess? This was a big, fat sell to me. I I was actually infuriated when I read this uh, tweet by Acho because – you know, first of all, it's just like, how are you now to say 
just because a couple things are going wrong that it's just no longer worth it to play these remaining games, right? Because ultimately what you're saying is if, if USC hadn't won these games and they were still undefeated, magically the risk of not getting injured goes down because you're still going to play the remainder of the season, right? right? And so even if you're undefeated or at two losses, if you're playing that remainder of the season undefeated, those are still games that you can potentially get hurt and you have no control of whatever's going on. And so that argument, one, goes out the door to me. And second of all, it's just you're, you're basically creating an atmosphere in college where guys can say they can quit when things don't go their way anymore. Right. And how are you able to consciously say that when there is youth all around the country and the world watching football, right? And so now we're just teaching young players to quit just because they lose a couple games and you know their status of going on to the next level might be in jeopardy. I just think it's a bunch of bullcrap at the end of the day. And I think I think Acho should be ashamed of himself for even tweeting something like that. I completely agree. Where's the accountability? And and you know, Acho is a guy who played in college, obviously. He played in the NFL for a time. And it, 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 is it all just a business decision, or is there any accountability, you know, for for Caleb Williams? Now, obviously, he's not just throwing in the towel, but I think it's ridiculous that Acho you know, would even come out. He even he, he just started the conversation. He planted an idea that had right. no that had no reason of even being brought up. Like that, it, that should never be a conversation. Yeah, Lauren says that that uh, Caleb should at least fake an injury if he doesn't want to finish the season. And you know, it's it's like which one? One of the Boses a few years back. You know, he just decided he wasn't going to come back and and opted out for like half a season or something like that and we've seen other you know like we've seen other guys just decide well i'm not going to risk it and it's unfortunately it's happening more and more and i'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen more of it you know like if you're if you're being projected as a first round guy i don't even know how much nfl teams take that kind of stuff into account anymore is it all the talent and, you know, like, especially when you're a quarterback and you're seen as the number one pick, but I, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous that Acho would even float something out like this, because, like there are literally thousands of guys who aren't going to be one of, you know, playing for one of the four teams who play in the national, you know, in a, in, in the college football playoff at the end of the season, but they're going to play the entirety of their season as long as they're healthy. Yeah. Like where's the sense of pride if you're Acho, right? Yeah. Like there's just, I, <laughs> again, I, I about threw my phone when I read that I was just so mad because it's just, it's just teaching all of the wrong things at the end of the day. Yep. So Alex Rodriguez says he's upset. The Yankees didn't retire <laughs> his Jersey number 13 and allowed Joey Gallo to use it when Gallo played for the Yankees a couple of years ago. A-Rod says his comments about the Yankees as a TV analyst likely kept it from happening. Do you buy or sell that? Um, I'm going to sell that the reason why it's not being, um, you know, retired is because of specific comments that he's made about the Yankees. And the next thing I would, I would like to say is I just think it's hilarious that they let Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo, wear his number right like if, of all people like that's the funniest part that it to was me because that's like Gallo a slap in the face i agree yes. with a rod that's a slap in the face 
allowing Joey Gallo to wear your uniform, right? Like if you're going to allow someone to wear 13, it better be like the next A-Rod, right? Like it's it should be what the Cowboys do with 88. It gets passed down to the next legacy guy of the organization. Right. But to just allow anyone to wear it, okay, I understand A-Rod. I would be pretty upset about that too, considering how many years you were at the Yankees, all the success that you had, et cetera. But I don't think his comments as a TV analyst is what led to that decision. So that's why I'm selling it. I just don't know what that reason is, though, overall. You know, I could speculate that maybe it's the steroid stuff. Maybe it's, you know, that the, the, there hasn't been the best relationship between A-Rod and the Yankees ever since he's left. Maybe it's because he doesn't, you know, uh, love Derek Jeter the same way everyone does in the Yankee organization. Whatever it might be, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's just because he says some things here and there as an analyst, because that's his job. You can't just say nice things about the Yankees all the time. Is there anyone who lacks self-awareness like A-Rod lacks self-awareness? <laughs> I mean, or maybe well, he just tells himself Derek Jeter's up there from the other night when he didn't well, want to put on the when, cowboy when hat the with cowboy everyone else. That's, that's true. That's true. This is a two-time steroid offender. Like, that's not the guy whose jersey you're – this is the New York Yankees. <laughs> like, you are not – I don't think anyone ever considered retiring A-Rod's jersey number. But to me, the icing on the cake is just what we talked about. It's not just they didn't retire it. They let Joey Gallo wear the, <laughs> wear the number. <laughs> it's just hysterical. He was just not thought of in that reverence that he thinks he was thought of, you know? And you can say, well, he was in Jeter's shadow, and you're right. Like, Jeter lacks some of it as well. It's like, come on, man. Poppy bought you the hat. Put the hat on. Put the yeah, everyone hat else on, has Jeter. the hat on. They're laughing, joking around. He just looks at it. It's like, oh, I, I'm, Lighten not, up a I'm little not bit. putting that on. Yeah. Just looked at it like it was the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, on. I think the combination of steroids – um, and his uh, his I, I, again, I just don't think he the, the the poster child of that organization during that era was Jeter, and I think unfortunately that's the only person that's going to get praised consistently. And then you yeah. add in the fact that A Rod was kind of you know it looked at as the Robin to you know Jeter's Batman, and you combine steroids, it's just I I, I don't see it changing. But you just can't be one of the least liked guy you know guys around and think that they're going to retire your jersey number. <laughs> It's all said and done. Maybe you should do um, more things to maybe, you know, uh, get on better graces with the Yankees mm -hmm. if he's that concerned. So Elon Musk just celebrated the one-year anniversary of buying Twitter, which is now, of course, known as X. But he plans to start charging users a dollar a year to allow them to post on the platform. So if you want to post on Twitter, you're apparently going to have to pay a dollar a year. You can still scroll through Twitter and read other people's posts for free. But if you want to post, you got to pay a buck for a year. So would you pay to post? Yeah, I would pay to post. I think it's stupid. It's a dollar. Like it, it's just another way to squeeze out millions of dollars, right? Because if every person owes a dollar, that's like the easiest $200 million that he's well, I was going to say that right? there's something like 550 million plus you know, Twitter X users. So if everybody did it, that's 550 million a year just for paying a buck. And so, like, one you buck. know, yeah. So like if half the people did it, then that's still over 200 million a year. So I can see why he do it. And it's relatively inexpensive, but well, that's like, the whole reason it's happening is he can't make money. He's found, he can't, it's a money pit for him right now. Right. That's exactly it. He's trying to find some way 
to make money at it. You know, Lauren brings up a good point. Yeah, when's How it become two dollars? Like, like if I would actually, I would actually pay for it for ten years. You know, if if you locked me in and said ten bucks, do it for ten years. If you're going to guarantee me that you're not going to increase the rate, I would also like some of those like extras to come along with it. You know, like the people, you know, with the blue check marks with the like the the 800 you know word posts and stuff like that <laughs> get but <laughs> you know listen i i sports wager probably consistently 50 to 100 dollars every day so i'm okay with paying a buck like i it's just a matter like i give a buck to a homeless person you know when i have the opportunity right like right i don't care about a dollar but it's just funny that he's doing it because he's so down bad and twitter or x is losing him so much money and his investors are pissed. Well, and you know, look, you remember he tried to get out of it, but he had, you know, signed all the paperwork and all that, you know, once he found out what kind of shape they were in financially and, you know, the, the odds against actually making money, he tried to back out, but it was, he was too far in <laughs> at that point. So now he's just, you know, again, try, this is actually one of the better decisions I think that he's made like a buck for a year is next to nothing. I think a lot of people would pay that. I will be curious if this actually goes through. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> 2.0 says Twitter is homeless. I will be curious to see how many people actually pay a buck a year. Listen, I but think I would Twitter, this, the, the, the statement Twitter is homeless is exactly what I enjoy about Twitter. Like you go on there and you don't know what the heck you're going to see some days. But what I'm consistently on there is I love to see the uh, current stuff about, you know, NFL MLB, the news, the NBA, players are hurt, players are traded, you know, whatever is going on. That's that's what really keeps me into Twitter because I need to know what's going on in the real world, right? But then you just see the funniest stuff on there at the same time. Just like you read something or see a meme, you're like, someone really put that out there. <laughs> and I think that's the best part about Twitter is the combination of just knowing what you're going to get and then not knowing what you're going to get True. every single day. True. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up with that tonight as uh, we wind down another edition of the show. Um, Joe says that he likes how Elon is trying to get rid of all the fake accounts, and if he can't, might as well make money off them. Yeah, like, the I think the bot farms are still a thing, though, right? Oh, like, I get, he really I get a random, yeah. I get x-rated accounts that like my tweets and i'm like all right that's a block immediately <laughs> right exactly all right hit the like button on your way out appreciate you being here with us for the show and we'll of course be back tomorrow subscribe rate and review and we'll talk to you later on ivy nation sports talk <sighs>